this is Joshua Bell with the Kilt and Cloth. This was my sermon back from July 31st, 2022, uh, entitled, How Can I Give You Up? Scripture reading from Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. I hope you enjoy, and God bless. So my scripture this morning... It's taken from the book of Hosea, chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. If you'd like to follow along as I read aloud, loud, it's found in the Hebrew Bible section of your Bible on page 792. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more I called him, the more they went from me. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and offering incense to the idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was to, like, I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down to them and fed them. They shall return to the land of Egypt, and Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword rages in their cities. It consumes their oracle priests and devours because of their scheme. My people are bent on turning away from me to the Most High, they call, but he does not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Atma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and no more. The Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord who roars like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, says the Lord. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. Sarah wants me to invite any of our young people, if they'd like to go to the back and, and go to the playground, now would be the time to do so. For any of you adults that would like to do so as well, too bad. In this section, Hosea uses the metaphor of parent and rebellious child to describe God's faithful love and care for Israel. 
God speaks powerfully in predictive and foretelling ways through the prophet that Israel will be carted off to yet once again another place, Syria. And there will be held in servitude. But almost in the same breath, we hear the yearnings of the divine parent rhetorically asking how Israel could ever be given up or relinquished from God's care and faithful love. And the lesson ends with, yet once again, a beautiful note that says, I will bring them home again. In verse 1, it says, God calls out. Now, I, you all know I'm somewhat of a nerd, and I like language, because I think it matters to how we look at this. But the word here in Hebrew is really not just to call out, but it has a double meaning. It means to also summon but also to call out in name or to name. In this verse, the writer plays both meanings. God's not only summons Israel from Egypt, but also names Israel as an adopted son, as would be customary in the Torah. There's a parenting God. You hear the nurturing words to describe the relationship. It was Yahweh who taught Israel her first baby steps. Who carried and healed and led and lifted and stooped down to feed the kid, Israel. And those of you who have worked with teenagers will know the next one is the aspect of the disowning of the parent God by the son who has been nurtured and cared for. The more God called him son, the more he abandoned his parent and instead went to worship the surrogate parent, Baal. Made sacrifices to false idols. Now the same parent-child metaphor, God has about reached the threshold of Israel's rebellion. God is now on the verge of destroying the son, Ami, yet recoils at the possibility of something happening. According to the NIV, the implication in verse 8 is, is that God is about to turn the son over to be stoned. But the strange mixture of anger, love, and abhorrence and compassion leads us to a very different decision. He says, I will not, I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, says Yahweh. You know, I don't know how many of you know this. Without being funny in any way, shape, or form, if children got out of hand, it was not unheard of in the culture for them to stone that child. There was a time and a place that in the Torah that if the child got out of line, we would stone them. And what I mean by that is, is that phrase of disrespecting parents. When you disrespected your father or mother and the community saw that, they could stone you. Now obviously this is a terrifying practice, not something that we would want to encourage in any way, shape, or form. 
But it, it says that in this passage, God transcends those human legalistic institutions that would enforce a death sentence for disobedient sons. When he proclaims that I'm God and no mortal, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. That's the part I want you to catch. I will not come in wrath. I think it's easy for us when we talk about the Hebrew Bible God, that God is scary. We preach it all the time. God is wrathful. God is a judge. God is, uh, has the ability to wipe off things from the planet in the blink of an eye. And then here you have this prophet Hosea that says, well, yes, God has that ability, but God would never want to do that. I think there's also passages in Scripture in the Hebrew Bible where we see that God is not only this wrathful God, but also a God that is a parent that recognizes that at certain points in this child's life, they're going to question authority. Those of you that have worked with teenagers might know what I'm talking about. It starts off small, right? Like it starts off with the idea of, you can't tell me what to do. And the typical response after that is, oh yes I can. Because I'm either A, your parent, or B, I'm your teacher. Well, but this is my choice, and I'm going to do it whether you like it or not. And then the parent or the teacher says, because our job is to nurture this person, right? We say, no, you won't. Because I know, right, that we can fill in the blank, what's going to happen to you. You don't know what's going to happen to me. Right, because I never made those choices. Or the typical response that any adult would have with a teenager is, listen, I've been down your path before. You're not going to want to do this. And the teenage response is, I'm going to do it anyway. This is Israel to Hosea. God has found ways over and over again to say, listen, dum-dum. I've done everything I possibly can. I've taught you how to walk. I taught you how to ride a bike. I picked you up when you were hurt. I fed you. I clothed you. I took care of you. And every single time you decide to make the choices on your own, this is what's going to happen. And I think in Hosea, God says, I have to let them make their own choices. you can hear the voice of anguish. How can I give them up? How can I let this happen? They're going to be enslaved yet once again for being their selves, being themselves. You see, I think this is a beautiful picture of how a parent 
teaches a child to walk as a way to understand God's nurturing love. That God desires to guide us. Our nature, it seems, is to, frankly, it's to wander. To explore. To blaze our own trail. And yet, at the end of the day, it's not really all that original. It's just your path. God is with you regardless of the journey or the path that you choose to take. The question that we should be asking ourselves is, how do we allow God to guide us and to lead us step by step? Well, that's, that's almost impossible, right? I mean, we know better. We tell God what we need. We say it quite often. I know that it, when I was in high school, the question was, please, God, if you will just let me pass this test, I will, and I filled in the blank. Did I do the fill in the blank? No. Did I pass that test? No. But there are other moments in our path that we're led by God to hear God's voice. I think even in the midst of listening to the children who are extremely uncomfortable speaking in front of you all, right? You could hear moments. Oh yeah, that Bible, Zacchaeus, boom, pops up. Oh, there was this moment in worship where we did this. It felt nice to lead in worship. These are places where we lead children step by step. We give them encouragement when they feel called to sing. When they feel called to lead. We have to ask ourselves what traits, what attitudes and desires cause to pull us away from God's guiding hand. We've seen what happens when we insist on having our own way. The question that we should be asking is, at what point, as we're blazing our own trail, regardless of where we find ourselves in life, at any age, when we're blazing our own trail, when do we stop and turn and look for God? and not the path that the world would like to give us. If The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein is a story about long-suffering and kindness, then our passage in Hosea could well have been the story's inspiration. I loved Shel Silverstein when I was growing up. I loved the practicality of all of the stories, all of the poems, the ways of living life, and the giving tree is one of my favorite. I think it's important for us to maybe even review this story in the sense of the way that God and Hosea also demonstrates that warmth and patient kindness to Israel. So let me give you a little bit of the plot of the giving tree. It's about a tree and a boy, and they love each other. 
They enjoy a lifelong relationship. The tree provides the raw materials for fun. Bark for carving. Branches for swinging on. Fruit to pick and to eat and shade to sleep in. Now as the child grows, the relationship stays, well, relatively the same. It's a one-sided affair with the boy getting lumber from the tree to make a house and later cutting the tree down to a stump to build a boat. Now the last frame of the story has the child now grown weary and worn into a wrinkly old man. And I want to share this conversation that they have with one another. The tree says, My apples are all gone. The man says, Well, my teeth are too weak for apples. The tree says, Well, my branches are gone. You cannot swing on them. The man says, I am too old to swing on branches. The tree says, My trunk is gone. You cannot climb. The man says, Well, frankly, I'm just too tired to climb. The tree, I am so sorry that I wish I could give you something but I have nothing left. I'm just an old stump, and I'm sorry. The man says, I, I don't need very much, just a, a quiet place to sit and rest, for I am very tired. The tree says, well, straightening herself up as much as she could, well, I happen to be an old stump, which is good for sitting and resting. Come, boy, sit. Sit down and rest. And the boy did. And the tree was happy. And Shell would say, the end. But I see another part to this story. I see the fact that Hosea sees that God, God's story never ends. In that moment, we recognize that God gives a, has a desire to connect with us, provides Jesus as our Savior, a physical being, someone who is both our brother and our friend, who literally guides us in life to hopefully we make the same and right choices to be in fellowship with God and our fellow human beings. And this is a struggle. And you can hear God's voice that even in the midst of giving us His Son, we struggle to understand that love and compassion. But we can still try. God never gave us up. God never abandoned us. We've been called to find ways of reconnecting 
to God. We've been called to find ways of bringing our people back again. We have been called in such a way that God, our Heavenly Father, loves and adores us all just the way that we are. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.